Hello, I'm Robert Bernardo from California here in the United States. Uh, you're listening to the Scene World Podcast. Hi, it's I'm AJ. He's him. He's Yurik. This is the Scene World Podcast, number seventy-one. Wow! I'm being I'm being very sultry and relaxed in the microphone today. Nice. People do like the Scene World ASMR. Yep. Just sit yep. there, like hi, how you doing? So, so, <laughs> so in a minute. Yes, in a minute. We are talking to Gay Gordon Byrne from the Repair Association, and this is the the umbrella, the, the climax of. Yeah. Scene World's now month and a half long right to repair month. So so that's in a minute. Before that, um we've got a little bit of news, but not too much because um it's only been a little bit since we did the last podcast and we're throwing these out quick because we want to be um consistent with release of this particular theme um and we just put out the last one tour.mod with katya becker um so everyone should check that out if you haven't listened to that one yet if you have coolio um before we get to the main interview we should probably do some news yep 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 not as long as last month or last podcast because Jurg had a small diatribe about the importance of disk drives yeah. Which, which I concur with. We thought about cutting it down a little bit for for space, but we opted to leave it in in its entirety because it is an important thing that I think I I, I believe. Um, we we were just discussing before we started recording that the disk drives are actually the mechanisms are aside from printers, which are the worst things ever invented. Um, disk drives are are the only part of a computer that actually has moving parts and the only thing that will wear out over time. Right, so um, at some point in the future, we don't know when exactly, but at some point there will be no more disk drives because they will all have all have worn out and and croaked. So it would be would be cool to have like a like a, an adapter to use an old PC drive because Jurg was complaining that those are also old, but the sheer numbers of them, I think, would allow people to use um, floppies more into the future. Yes. Hmm. I still think somebody should make new ones. Okay, but there's a whole um, and there's a manufacturing process. There's a whole thing that's got to go along with that that I just feel is 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 counterintuitive. Because there's a lot of say there's motors and there's steppers and there's stepper motors and there's belts and there's read write heads and there's a lot of stuff that I just I, I it's. I don't know. Well, you can you can mass protect anything nowadays. I'm pretty know, sure. Uh, another interesting concept would be. Oh, I don't know how that would work exactly. Never mind. I, I was just thinking that that one of the things that we've done with de- with tapes is we've created uh, tape, not adapters, but they 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 take the place of data sets where you can just have. Because your data set is is just noise, you know, your, your cassette, there's just noise on it. It's a terrible, terrible noise. But you can make an MP3 of that or a WAV file or whatever and just play it back, and the computer can, can listen to it and pretend it's a tape. Discs are the same 
general technology. It's magnetic media, stuff is on there. Theoretically, you could play a disc back and hear terrible noises just like on a cassette. But a tape or a, a disc uses different tracks and stuff like that. So I don't know that a similar solution would work for mm. a disc. Mm. But who knows? Hopefully by the time no discs are arrived anymore and not anymore alive. I don't, yeah, I, I don't think you need to worry about that. Thank you. No problem. So, news. Yes. The father of personal computing, shark paddle, keynoting, disruptive innovation symposium. Yes. Yeah. Chuck Paddle, who invented, who designed the 6502 and, and was part of the team that made the 6800 from Motorola back in the day. And the pet computer. Yeah. And the founder of MOS Technologies, which was bought by Commodore Hand. Yeah, yeah. He graduated from the University of Maine in 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 '59 with a degree in engineering physics. Right. The College of Engineering was honored to present Chuck Peddle, the father of personal computer, with the Edward T. Bryant Engineering Award today. And that was April 8th, 2019. Okay. So, a few months back already, mm. but just picked up by um, by by the retro community. Actually, there is a YouTube recording of the speech he held. Oh, really? Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we'll put I a link found, to that. I I found it. I found it by accident. Okay. Yeah. Very nifty. We'll put a link to that in the podcast description. Yep. 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 And uh, yeah. Yeah. So. You. Okay, well, uh, GubData, the demo party, I guess is how you say it, it happened in Sweden. Um, that just took place um, this past month, I suppose. That's cool. There's a lot of stuff that came out of it. Um, I know that, that even the legendary JCH has made some music from it. There's a lot of demos out. Check it out. We'll put a link to, I guess, where you can check out some of those demos if you want to. Um, and, and finally for the news today, um, there is a new device, a new, as in, 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 from May. I mean, it's not, it's not new, new, but it's new to, to my scene, uh, to what I've seen. Uh, Ricardo Casada has launched a new project called the, the Unijoystickle 2, which lets you use modern game controllers, like, like on an Xbox or PS4 or whatever, um, Primarily Bluetooth controllers, wireless controllers. So, and it supports multiple controllers, so you can have two players. Um, and uh, whilst it was designed for the 64, it'll work on anything that uses a DB9 pinout, using like like the Atari or the Amiga or anything else like that. I guess yeah, just actually, needs, uh... the joystick port is a de facto Atari standard. Right. Right. Exactly. Yes. That Commodore took over. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't take it. I think lots of things used it, but so, so they, uh, so that's that's available. You can uh, you can buy those. It also comes as a kit that you can put together. You know, if you want to solder it yourself, I guess it's probably a little bit cheaper that way. So, um, so that that's kind of cool. Uh, wireless controllers on the sixty-four. I don't think that's something that we've uh, experienced before. There were some. Um... Some adapters for um, 
the Nintendo Wii that allowed mm -hmm. that. So there well, were products for that, but they were homemade. Yeah, and there say. was there was a uh, Uni Joystickle, an original one, because this is the Uni Joystickle Two. The original one used Wi-Fi, so I guess it was a different kind of connectivity. But this uses Bluetooth, so that's pretty uh, pretty awesome. Maybe I'll gra grab one of those and do a review. But I think that's all the news we have now. So why well, don't we? I'm actually looking. Maybe not. Um, no, no update from Phase Phase, phase Five about the uh, keycaps. Mm. Okay, well, that's been an ongoing theme, I think. Yeah. So I think that's about all the news we have. So, so Gay from the Repair Association is waiting right over there. So why don't we go talk to her? So today. As another part of the right to repair movement, we are interviewing actually um, repair.org and in person Gay Garden Byrne. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yes, Alice? yes, you did yeah. very well. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, There's a first for everything. Yes. Um, so you are actually the CEO of the association or the founder? Or uh, how, I... how you would describe yourself? Um, I'm officially the executive director because we're a trade association. Um, I am also one of the founders. So you are actually known to be a lot lately on uh, interviews with iFixit and other, um, you would say, companies or association doing the same thing. So, so how did it start for you personally that you made a step into, I would say, right to repair? <laughs> I over-volunteered. That's, that's what really happened. <laughs> uh, but the backstory is that I've, I've been in the um, large mainframe enterprise world for my entire career. And um, I was working to develop a website, a, a database of what happens to equipment, why it breaks, where it breaks, when it breaks, uh, based on repair records. And so my clients um, we're finding that they all of a sudden were getting wiped out by manufacturer policy changes. And I started literally just trying to help my clients. And um, I became totally enraged that companies like IBM and HP and Oracle, who were the big three large server manufacturers, had all of a sudden decided that people shouldn't repair their stuff. Um, and at that point, <clears throat> kind of stumbled on Kyle Weens that I fix it. And he was experiencing the same problems, but in the consumer cell phone space. So there's a lot of overlap. The problems are very much the same. Um, personal computers and business computers are the same. It's just a matter of scale. Mm -hmm. So we started talking about how to make changes. And um, we wound up creating this association, which would act as the umbrella so that we would have a way to coordinate all these different organizations that aren't full-time doing right to repair, but have a place to coordinate it. And that's how we started. I figured when I did research about this topic that the car industry had the similar problem earlier. Yes, uh, they still suffer the same problems. Um, they were able to get legislation done in 2012 in Massachusetts, and when we looked at that, because we've been stumbling around trying to figure out how how to get something changed, 
And we read the bill and said, holy cow, there it is, the perfect bill, except it says cars. <laughs> so we, we literally took out the word automobile, put in the word digital electronic product, and that was our first bill. Um, so, yeah, we've been following that, Nate. The problems that autos and farm equipment have are identical to the problems that um, mainframes and servers and uh, refrigerators and cell phones have, is that if the manufacturer makes it difficult to get access to the parts and particularly the firmware and the diagnostics, you can't fix it. It's over. It's done. They're in control. And that's what's happened because it's awfully easy to do that. Not doing things is very easy. And you know, they used to provide schematics. Now they don't. They used to print manuals. Now they don't. They used to put their diagnostics available on their website, and now they hide it behind a, a paywall or a authorization of some kind. So it's literally a negative. They have to do so little to right. monopolize repair. It's really sad. Right. I, I've got, you know, this, this thing sitting behind me, this old Commodore 64. It comes yeah. with, you'd get this giant book, and in the back there are schematics on how it all works together and how you can and put it together and whatnot. And compared yeah. to that... My my shiny new MacBook Pro, I get you get no documentation at all. You get maybe you know a little USB stick to put the software on, and that's it. Yeah, and that's intentional. It certainly wouldn't hurt them to provide that information. Um, the idea that anything in that machine is a secret is ridiculous. It's made in China. It's assembled in China. Half the stuff is designed in China. There's nothing really secret about how you know part A connects to part B. It just would be very useful information if you wanted to fix it. And they just don't, they meaning not just Apple, but manufacturers in general would much rather you not fix things because if you don't fix it or you can't get it fixed, then you're going to go back to the store and buy a new one, which, Mm -hmm. surprise, is exactly what they want. It's a perfect world for them. Which actually generates a lot of waste. God, yeah. Totally. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's an interesting place to be um, politically, because normally the the save the, cl- the save the climate, save the planet folks don't talk to the business world. But in this case, we're all trying to do the same thing and all for the same good reasons. It's an, it's insulting as an equipment owner, whether or not you own a whole data center or a MacBook Pro. Um, it's insulting to have bought it and then be able to told you can't keep using it. And that binds a lot of people together. So it's from a political standpoint, it's been great fun. Um, we don't talk politics. <laughs> we're, we're, we work very hard not to talk politics because I don't think half our members would talk to the other half if that was the case. But um, on this issue, we, we're not having any pushback. I'm actually surprised to hear that uh, the business side of um, the computer industry has the same problem because I would guess that an HP uh, server or IBM server side, there would be much more money involved and you would get such things as a part of the contract, no? Um, Well, you're mixing up the manufacturer's interest with the user. Um, Think more like you own a bank and you have a data center um, and you're paying excessively to have a maintenance contract that's exclusive to IBM or HP Enterprise. That's that's causing them probably to overpay quite significantly on just their operating expenses. So the users have much more interest in this. Um, It's not their personal money, so they're not really good advocates. 
but um, if they they're overpaying massively and they are not in the same boat as the manufacturer. So HP as a manufacturer is selling to the thousands of large companies that are using their products and then turning around and screwing those same customers. Um, HP is less of a bully um, than IBM and Oracle, but their HP enterprise is just as locked down as any other manufacturer. So it does depend a little bit who you're talking about. It's interesting because um, from an end user side, you only almost hear about Apple. <laughs> so, um, I mean, Apple is all over the place, you know, um, like Apple doesn't allow you to get spare parts. Apple, uh, Apple designed the Apple Watch so you can't, you can't change the, the display without destroying it and all that stuff. Um, so well, Apple has put themselves out there as having their little walled garden and they're trying to tell everybody it's for your benefit that you can't fix your stuff. Right. Um, but truly, they're just the best villain. Um, you know, if you have to have a target that's known all over the world where headlines get, uh, if you put Apple in your headline, you'll get red. If you put Oracle in your headline, it's a snooze. So uh, Apple is a great villain. It's just it's the better villain. Um, which is, and everybody seems to relate to it because of their policies being just so egregious. Not being able to fix your phone impacts millions and millions of people. And then you turn around and find out that Samsung and Motorola and everybody else does exactly the same thing because, hell, they want that money too, just like Apple. So there hasn't really been a big breakthrough on the policy side yet. But as soon as one major manufacturer decides that you know they want to compete, on repairability, then Apple will be in a different, then Apple will be the villain all by themselves. It'll be fun. I actually read recently that the bill was actually put down by some, by some states because um, stating that you could hurt yourself trying to repair <laughs> your phone. Yeah, yeah, Apple walked around apparently. I wasn't there. Um, but apparently they walked around the state house the day of the hearing or pri the days prior to the hearing and they were showing people how they could hurt themselves. Oh, great. <laughs> That's if, if you've ever fixed, I mean, it's ridiculous, but um, they will say absolutely anything. Absolutely the most ridiculous stuff. They, they told a, a legislative sponsor of ours in Nebraska that if she passed right to repair in Nebraska, Nebraska would become a mecca for hackers. And we just rolled over laughing, saying, gee, I guess all of a sudden these Bulgarians or whatever, these nefarious guys are going to fly from Belgrade. Yeah, <laughs> right, America, right, yeah. Or Serbia or whatever it is, you know, some from Americans, that's all nefarious over there. Um, and, and settle in Omaha. We just couldn't stop laughing. Unfortunately, the legislators had no idea how silly that was. And um, Apple keeps popping that baby up all the time. Mecca for hackers, woo! <laughs> Lord, that, that reminds you know, we, we mentioned uh, in one of the other podcasts that we did uh, regarding repair with um, Scotty Jessa, Allen, maybe no, Jessa Jones with Jessa Jones. Jessa Jones. Oh, right. I, I br okay. Yeah, yeah, I brought up the, the thing that being from New Jersey, I'm not allowed to pump my own gas, and it's you know, it falls under the whole the guideline of you might hurt yourself, but it's like, so what is every other state in the United States like people just blowing up and, and running around on fire and stuff because oh, nobody knows how to pump clearly, gas? We're all, we're all dying in New, New, in New York because <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. we have to pump our own gas, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
that that's up there with the farmers are all hacking their tractors in order to violate emissions law and pollute the planet. That's another good one. <laughs> that that's their whole purpose in life is to violate emissions law. Not right, not right. food. No, just violate emissions law. Yeah, and you bring up farm equipment, which is kind of surprising to me because because in my brain, you know, I I imagine that you get a tractor and that's your tractor for the next thirty years. You know, because it's. It you know it doesn't require the kind of maintenance that a car does. It's a it's a tractor. When I talk about when I talk about fixing my Jeep, I I, I explain that it's essentially just a tractor engine. You know it, it you know simplistic and and easy to fix. But now you're saying that that's also a big sector a sector in which they're trying to stop people from from doing anything to that stuff too to to farm oh, yeah. equipment. Oh yeah, rather amazingly so because. Um, everybody is, in fact, used to fixing their own tractors and their own diesel engines. There's mechanics, thousands, hundreds of thousands, probably, that can fix a tractor. But all of a sudden, you put a little chip in the console and you put a little laptop out there, and now it's mystery land, and you would hurt yourself if you fixed it. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, it, it's just ludicrous. It's the same silly nonsense about hurting yourself, never mind that it's your, it would be your body that got crushed. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, seriously, wouldn't you be careful about how you fixed your tractor? Of course you would. And just because it's got a computer in it doesn't mean you'd be less careful. It right. only means that they want to use the computer software to block your access to the diagnostics so that they can charge you uh, $600 a throw just to come out and hit restart. And it's mm -hmm. that kind of insanity that's driving farmers crazy because literally... Um, it's not like you can take your cell phone to the John Deere dealership and get it. You can't pick up your tractor, put it in your pocket, drag it wherever you want to drag it, however inconvenient. Um, that thing is sitting out in the field. It's, it's way too big to put in your pocket. So they got to come to you. Right. So that means the dealership now has a monopoly on the labor source and time and availability. So if you're not a big user of that dealership, gee, your your service call might not be the first one that gets answered. There's just all sorts of distortions when there's no availability of independent repair anywhere. I mean, you're really stuck. Right. And the same thing goes with refrigerators and other high high cost items, home appliances. You put a chip in them and they're monopolized. Um, I don't know how this is going to play out. It feels well, almost means... like it's not even just a right to repair. It's also a right to, you know, a, a right to to accidentally solder my hand to a motherboard or something because yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. That's it, it's kind yeah, of like, <laughs> yeah, because because you think about it, you know, if if I was trying to fix something, if and I and I and I you know ripped my hand open or burned myself or something, that generally like, I the 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 manufacturers are saying that okay that's a risk and maybe they're they're pretending like you know like a lawsuit or something is they're trying to avoid litigation from people hurting themselves but at the same time if i try to fix something and i hurt myself i don't see that going anywhere in court that's just going to get laughed right out of there they're going to be like no he's an idiot and doesn't know how to use a soldering iron yeah it's that's not actually what happens and the fun i'm glad you brought that up because it's a big fear factor legislators are terrified that they're going to throw manufacturers under the bus and um personal injury lawsuits are going to drive these wonderful companies out of business the reality is is every single contract you ever sign the manufacturer says i'm not responsible for all the stupid shit you might do mm -hmm. uh, and it's in every single contract they disclaim everything 
And the only thing they can't disclaim is limited by state law, where, where if they are actually providing a defective product, they can't escape that. But if you just hurt yourself during an ordinary hurt yourself and you try good luck finding a lawyer that's going to take that on contingency because they're they're not going to spend their money. They'll spend your money if you say, I'll pay I'll pay you anything you want to go sue Apple. Uh, But good luck with that, because you don't have a case. Right, right, exactly. Like if my if my laptop, if if I was sitting there playing with it and just doing normal stuff, and the and the and the, and the battery exploded, that's that's a case I may have. If I had it apart and I'm and I'm applying heat to it and the battery explodes, that's my fault because I shouldn't have been doing that. Oh yeah. Or, or, or rather, or rather, rather I shouldn't. I didn't know what I was doing when I did it. Therefore, it's it's not it, it is not it doesn't fall on the manufacturer to to prevent me from doing that. No, in fact, it makes to me it makes. The op- it makes no sense on the ludicrous side to not provide the information that would allow people to do this, do these kinds of things more safely. Right. Like a manual right. that says, don't stick, don't stick <laughs> this into that. That would be very useful information. Reality is, is that most people don't do their own repairs. Uh, they would I, probably 85 to 90 percent of people would never even attempt an electronics repair. But the fact is, the 15 percent. Eighty-five uh, percent of people don't have an option right. of even hiring an independent tech. So um, it's not being able to repair stuff is a huge problem, and the excuses for not providing the information don't make any sense when you look at them. Such as, if you don't have a service manual, don't you think that increases the likelihood you might hurt yourself? Of course it does. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether you're talking um, a mechanical device or a digital device. Information is important. Right, right. The thing yeah. is, the thing is, end users or experts or whoever tries it anyway. I mean, there are people like Jessa Jones and Louis Rossman. Yeah. They are known to to repair those devices anyway. You know, of course oh, they yeah, had. They're a... not preventing. You know, believe me, they're not preventing anybody from repairing their stuff. And all they're doing yeah. is making sure that it's as difficult as possible, yeah. as expensive and time consuming as possible. But the end result is the same. Right. Exactly. Yes, because because um, you have to you know you have to do extra steps to get something apart without pricking it, and yeah. Um, yeah, that wasn't the case before that all started. Um, so is it known actually what was this key uh, this key event that started the change that made this right to repair necessary? No, because it's been going on incrementally for a really long time. Um, it, there's no one manufacturer that overnight said, I'm not going to allow repair. Uh, manufacturers essentially stopped sending physical manuals when they posted them online. And they said, here, you want to go find it? Here it is. It's online. And then somebody, some wise guy said, why should we allow just anybody to download the manual? So they put it, so now you have to log in to get the manual. And then they say, well, gee, why don't we just charge for the manual? So these kinds of small steps have created the fact that you can't get a manual because some years ago, somebody stopped publishing one. And then you then that companies like iFixit came around because you couldn't reproduce a manual and share it if you happen to get one because that would be a violation of copyright law. Right. So they created their own manuals and made them available for free and open on the internet. So 
it's it's been very incremental. And we just turned around one day and I'd say, for me, the day was 2010. But for other industries, it's before, some it's later. Um, <clears throat> we turn around, wake up one day, and none of the things that we need to fix our stuff are available. So is there anything um, that shows us that we can go into the right direction? Is there any, I don't know, a positive change lately? Or is it just like like uh, swimming in the water against the wave? <laughs> oh, if I wasn't an optimist, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> um, I think right to repair legislation is going to pass. Um, probably, uh, God, the momentum is very, very strong here in the States for um, getting at least one state to pass a bill probably um, could be early to 2020. We kind of ran, we kind of ran out of time in 2019, but several bills are carrying over. Um, they're going to be heard and talked about and voted on in in the earlier part of 2020 as opposed to the end. Um, so it's very likely that if one state passes a bill, we will have made a huge dent in the problem because manufacturers will have enormous difficulty um, complying with a statute in one state and not the other 49. Right. Um, similarly, ca um, Canada's got at least two bills that we know of that have been presented. They're going into an election year, so it's, I don't know what's going to happen, but we've been talking with two other provinces as well that are looking to file right to repair legislation. So I think it's going to move pretty, uh, pretty much the same way in Canada. Uh, Australia seems to have something going on. New Zealand is has talking about getting something going on. So it's, I don't, I think in the pretty short term, Uh, one to two years, the, what the states can do and what the provinces can do will address a lot of these problems. There's still other problems, but the bulk of it, at least in terms of practical repair, um, will be gone. The design limitations, where people are gluing things together and they're manufacturing shit poorly, um, <laughs> using the lowest quality components and then refusing to support them for cybersecurity, that, that problem's going to remain. Um, I think it's going to take another round of effort to get some of that stuff banned. Um, that won't be my job. I'm going to retire. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is a lot of glue. I mean, I mean, uh, we've seen a lot in Apple things. I, I, I fix it as a great resource and, and I do look at a lot of their teardowns and, and how to fix stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's the, the amount of, um, glue and kind of substandard stuff like you look at this apple laptop and it looks so nice and then you open it up and it's all like putty and glue and and tape and yep. it's like well well it would never have occurred to me that that's that they would have stuck it together like that and they 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 say it's well it, it, we, we got a weird looking battery so it's extra battery life give me less battery life if i can take the battery out without having to melt glue and and scrape things off of stuff it's yeah it's it's such a And I did that with, um, I switched from the iPhone to Android a couple of years ago. And I have, um, I've got a, an LG phone, which is literally two screws that hold this phone together. And the whole thing comes apart. I've fixed so many things. Now I have to fix my, uh, my, my, my camera lens is broken. Okay. I've got to fix that tomorrow now. But again, parts are available and they show you, uh, iFix has got, I use those walkthroughs, but, uh, From what I gather, I think LG also is like, yeah, fix it, whatever, you know, which is so I'll keep using this. And I feel like, you know, I feel almost like the, like as a consumer, my my the best thing that I can do is support companies that let you do that. And um, 
is, is there anything else that that we can do? Is does that make a difference as far as like like twisting manufacturers' arms? And is there anything else that consumers can do to to let them know that you know we're not cool with with the glue and the crap? Well, I'm I'm trying to get consumers active to call their legislators or write their legislators and poke their heads up and say, fix this problem, fix this problem now. Um, because just voting with your wallet is really hard when you've got a fragmented market and nearly every manufacturer blocks repair in some way. Um, yes. Can you fix that model of LG? Yes. Are you going to be able to fix the next model of LG? Who knows? Oh, no. This is like three years old. The newer ones. But and, and, and again, it's market pressure. That, they've got they got yeah. when this one came out, it's got a removable and replaceable battery, and they got yeah. crap from the industry for making it so replaceable. Oh, the battery doesn't last as long. Yeah, but I can I can carry four of them with me. Yeah, yeah. So uh, your the ability to move the needle with um, individual purchasing decisions, I think, is the, there's just too many bad guys in the market and too few good guys. Um, you can't really create a, oh, we'll just go buy this product and the problem will solve itself because you can become a bad guy overnight. You right. simply just stop doing things that you used to do, which is how all of these companies got in this position. I'll give you an example with forklifts. Um, big forklift manufacturer named Heister, and they're, they're in every warehouse. Um, the gasoline models are completely repairable. They came out with electric models that aren't. Hmm. That's overnight. One day, this model you can fix, the next model you can't. So relying upon the marketplace, unfortunately, I would love if I had a choice to go to a brand that is consistently, reliably, always going to be repairable. And I don't know of a single one, not a single one other than this Fairphone product that's, um, I want to say it's out of the Netherlands, um, which just doesn't have distribution here in the U.S. or very, very little. It's hard to find a carrier that will provide the phone. I don't think uh, – we looked at one. We were on a waiting list, and when we looked to see it, whether it would work in our area, it doesn't work. <laughs> of course, <laughs> so of course. It wasn't even a choice. <laughs> so it's very hard to rely on the good guys. I think we have to have legislation and standards that demand a minimum level of information to be provided to the equipment owner because they bought it. It's theirs. Right, right. It doesn't belong to Apple anymore. It doesn't belong to John Deere or Heister anymore. Mm -hmm. It belongs to you. You paid good money. They got paid for all of their imagination and their innovation and their investments and their R&D. They don't get to come to you and say, well, you can't repair your stuff because we need to price gouge you so that we can recover our investment. That's ridiculous. And that's right. what they're saying. You know, right. we, we couldn't sell these products as inexpensively as we do if we had to um, let you fix them and keep them. Mm -hmm. TVs, you cannot buy currently a television that does not have a smart feature, that is the always on watching what you watch feature. Mm -hmm. It's a giant spy device. Right, right, and right. And I think it was Sharp that came out and said, well, we'd have to charge more for a TV if we couldn't spy on you. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is crazy stuff. That's great, that's amazing. Well, my my TV is an is a Toshiba from two thousand eight, and it it was before TVs went smart. Yeah, so I, I, have, I have old TVs, and I'm looking at my wall saying I could get a bigger TV, and then it would be one of those horrible spy devices. Mm -hmm. So I'm not doing that. I'll watch right, a smaller right. TV for now until we get the spyware out of these things. Right, and manufacturers that complain that 
that they can't they they couldn't continue to be successful unless they do this you know I, again i like to throw out jeep as an example because not because I, I i like those and i have one but they've also they're pretty much the only car manufacturer i know of that openly says no 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 change whatever you want you know and we'll even support it under warranty if you put giant tires on it or a lift or whatever and and they last forever i mean mine is you know 20 something years old now and Yet they're still making money. They're still selling cars. It's not like it's not like the longevity and the ability to fix them and do whatever you want to them is hurting their sales because they're doing fine. Yeah, the auto market's a good analogy because they were forced to. Uh, first of all, there is a law from 1975 called the Magnuson Moss Warranty Act that is supposed mm -hmm. to protect you from any auto manufacturer saying you're at. Um, I'm not going to service your engine because you changed your tires. Right, right. Or your wind, or your windshield, or your window wipers, or your oil, and there's a, still a lot of abuse in that industry over that over that issue. Mm -hmm. um, they're not really called to task as often as they should be for that. But then there's the 2012 legislation that did lead to a national agreement based on that legislation. So there is an automotive right to repair agreement between the industry and the secondary market that is supposed to allow for that for all of the signatories to that agreement. Unfortunately, there are some laggards. <laughs> They're not all as cooperative as they should be, which is why I said originally that that legislation isn't perfect. Uh, in fact, the industry is going back to Massachusetts um, looking for an amendment to the law that they did pass to improve upon it. So here we are, we're doing a, a digital right to repair bill in Massachusetts. You've got automotive right to repair in Massachusetts, mm -hmm. all yeah. at the same time. So they're they're really going to have to deal with that this fall because um, they've they've done so well. Massachusetts really did lead. But anyway, that's that's a bit of why you're able to repair the cars that you've bought. Um, some manufacturers, as always, have been more cooperative than others. Yeah, I've seen a few where they're, they're it's a it's a sealed the transmission's a sealed unit. You can't oh, yeah. you can't service it. And they said no no no, it's good for the lifetime of the car. Well, yeah, but the lifetime of the car is you know, 100,000 miles and, you know, it, and then it's pretty much, you know, it's soup in there and it's, you know, it's not going to work anymore. And then you're just supposed to, I don't, I don't know what they do if you can, you know, it's not a, under warranty anymore at that point. I'm sure you could replace the unit, but as far as just general servicing, it's not even built for that. Yeah. I remember when my son owned a Subaru and he was busy trying to soup up the Subaru and oh, I started Lord. looking to see what parts you could buy and they won't sell parts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Gee, how helpful. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I wonder we spoke now about USA, Canada, New Zealand. How is it in Europe? How is it in other places? I guess is is um I guess it's a similar thing, similar situation in other places. Otherwise you Americans or Canadians could just well, go to to other countries and get I the parts and manuals from there. I almost think it's worse because didn't you just say that when you got your, your phone fixed, you had to like lie about what sh part was being shipped because they would flag it and stop it from getting to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a, I got a glass frame for um, a red frame for my iPhone 7 Plus and um, the AliExpress shipper actually wrote a mobile phone cable on the CN22 customs label so that German customs wouldn't... Well, try to stop yeah, it they, from. They would say from it was a bootleg Apple product and take it away. 
which I don't think that would happen in the U.S. The the guy Henrik uh, Husby Husby in Norway that was repairing phones, and uh, Apple came in and sued him for having brought in screens that had been refurbished and he won thank goodness but apple's still going after him so to quickly answer your question yes the the problem is identical throughout the world there's no place currently that you can consistently acquire parts other than um on the streets of china (laughs) and that's that's not regarded as the ideal source if you're living somewhere other than china right right. so um yeah the, the legal access to repair parts to everything that you need to repair is the same worldwide. Um, Europe has moved forward on the on a couple of interesting things related to the repairability of big energy using products. Don't quite know why, but some standards were passed um, that will make major appliances more repairable. Uh, you might not be able to be, call yourself a qualified technician because they say it'll only be available to qualified technicians, which is kind of crazy since right. I'm not aware of any specific qualifications you have to have. Uh, but yes, the products themselves, they've approached it from a design standpoint where stuff has to be mechanically fastened. It can't be glued together. So I think Europe is probably more likely to push on those glue bands than we are in the U.S., um, U.S. doesn't much like to dip their toe into design choices, right? But uh, they, I think Europe is probably going to make more progress on the, on those matters. You you said you said iPhones were designed in China, and actually in the box it says designed in California by Apple. <laughs> well, most of your electronics, most of your semiconductors are actually designed under contract. So whether or not the the whatever part there's there's a hundred parts in that product and not all of them are designed by apple in uh redwood city <laughs> not yeah, all most of them are off-the-shelf electrical components and so apple yeah. apple design in california apple designed how we're going to stick them all together yeah but all those parts already existed and had been invented and, and put together in china and and all that so there's also a huge amount of semiconductor design that mm-hmm. goes on in china one of the problems that um, most manufacturers face is it's just cheaper to hire engineers in China mm-hmm. versus our labor rates. Right. So it's not the only problem we have with with the brain drain. Um, I mean, you can get chemists a dime a dozen in China that you'd pay a lot for here. My son was a chemist, a research chemist, and um, he found out all his work was being outsourced to China. Wow. And so I, I would just say, I, for the most part, we don't have the semiconductor manufacturing industry here in the U.S. Um, there's a few pockets of manufacturing and, and unique design. Um, but most consumer products are, like you said, off-the-shelf components, uh, manufactured under contract and assembled under contract all over the world, primarily in Asia. So what do you think is the, the next step to improve this situation? You said probably the the bills put in will be granted like early next year, but what yes, are I'm other looking. options? <laughs> um, yeah, I I think we're going to see state level legislation move in the next year or two. 
Um, I'm going to be speaking at a panel with the Federal Trade Commission next week that's also looking into what they can do. Mm -hmm. um, they've got a big workshop set up called Nixing the Fix, and they're exploring uh, because they have some responsibilities to U.S. consumers under their charter. So they're looking at that. I don't know what their appetite is for adding regulations. I don't know what their process is, but at least they're talking. So um, I just think consumers should have to, absolutely have to raise their voices and say, this is, this is garbage. I'm not, I don't want this. I need your help because legislators like to help and they will. Interestingly, I didn't hear so much about this uh, right to repair movement in Europe. I mean, if, if I wasn't researching on the internet and found you and the other people, they are all in, in the US, um, except for example, um, Henrik, as you mentioned him from, right. from Norway. But I don't hear so much from Germany or other European countries, I have to admit, or I hear nothing from Africa. I mean, in Africa, the situation, for example, must be a lot worse because uh, people actually don't have so much money in their pocket sometimes to well, just buy I, something I think, new. I think we, we pigeonhole a lot of Africa as being a poor country. I think a lot of them, a lot, a lot of Africa would be in the same kind of boat that, that we are in. Um, you know, there, there, there's most of Africa is not, you know, is not poor people and, and, and you know, bush meat and stuff I, I can't even think of what i'm trying to say but yeah i, I would say that most of africa is probably in the same situation yeah I, I can attest to that a little bit let me just go back and answer your question about what's going on in europe we have a counterpart organization um called free ict europe and the way the way the parliamentary system or not the the way the eu is built it relies much more heavily on regulators and bureaucrats to design what they think is correct. And there's almost no role for the consumer in pushing legislative advocacy. Mm. We're lucky here in the US is that, you know, consumers have a direct way to vote for um, the people that are doing what they want. And they also have initiative and referendum options, which is what Massachusetts did. So there are some options that exist here in the States that don't exist in Europe, it's just stru structural. The problems are the same. Um, Africa, very much the problems are the same. Um, we've met with a number of African legislators at some conferences where we've attended, and they've all been very interested in what they might want to do in terms of bringing right to repair legislation. And there's certainly a very active interest in repair. Um, Kyle, Kyle Weens has spent a lot more time in Africa and in Asia than I have, and I can't speak to it directly, but he certainly can. Okay. Wow. I, I didn't know that actually so much is happening besides America. Um, I guess the U.S. has just the, the biggest voice here and the, as you said, the best options to vote directly we're, and get things changed. We're very loud. Yeah, we're good at being loud. <laughs> <laughs> we're good at being loud. And the fact is we just got organized a little sooner than everybody else. I mean, we're when we put this thing together, we were kind of like, not fully aware of how big it was. Mm -hmm. you know, we knew it was big. We didn't realize it was covering, well, first of all, tractors. We had no idea tractors were involved until somebody tried to kill us in, a, in legislation in, in uh, South Dakota, and they sent in a, a lobbyist from John Deere, and we were like, huh? We had yeah. no idea. 
So if we found out since that it's literally everything, um, what's got parts in it, I, you know, somebody says, well, I bet you've never heard of this one. And I'll say, yeah, but I'm sure you're having the same problem when we talk. And yeah, we're having the same problem. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, you know, if you're making welding, if you're, used, if you're a welder using welding equipment, if there's a chip in that thing, you can't fix it. It's nuts. That's crazy. And now on, uh, we'll put links to a lot of stuff. Um, when you're talking about contacting, contacting a legislator and, and, and making your voice heard, Repair.org, the website, you have a there, there's a, a part of that where it lays out every state and, and yeah. who to contact and how to contact it to make it really yeah, easy. What we did is we have the state logos up because we still haven't figured out. We well, I mean, we still haven't done it. We want to do one of those cute little maps where you highlight where you are and it, you know, click. So we have all 50 state logos. You find your state, you click the logo, and it'll bring you to an advocacy page, mm -hmm. which will say, enter your name and um, address, it matches you to your legislators based on your physical address, and it tees up a letter. Mm -hmm. And you can you can contact anybody in the U.S. that way. It's the state level. Uh, a lot of people think the only legislators that matter are um, federal, and this is all state, and it's much more impactful. Right. Cool. So so it actually makes it super easy to, to for people to actually be uh, to actually contact their yeah. legislators and and to help advocate for this. Yeah, I mean, it's up there. It's for free. It's the most powerful thing we've got. So far, we've got about 80,000 people that have done that. Um, and just as a matter of comparison, when there was a, when the Copyright Office changed their policy about being able to transfer your phone number from carrier to carrier, mm -hmm. um, it took 100,000 signatures on a petition of the White House to get congressional action. So we're, we're nosing up on a significant volume. Uh, if it was all presented in one block, it would be more powerful, but it's spread out across 50 states. Right, right. Um, in New York State, there's over 30,000. In New Jersey, there's like 10,000. Um, 10,000 Massachusetts, 10,000 Minnesota. So these are numbers that are powerful. Um, legislators are getting not five, but 100 right. letters. So and, is there any hope for federal uh bills to pass on this as well you know i just had that discussion with one of my board members and it's like but what do we ask <laughs> literally sure. what is the request of the, the federal government that we're not already asking for in states mm -hmm. and how come the auto industry wasn't able to get anything done federally but they were in states so right. until we come up with what we would ask for i don't have I, I don't have something to say. I mean, there's some there's some tweaks that would be nice in copyright law. There's some problems in copyright law that would be good to get rid of. Oh, yes. um, but we've gotten almost everything we've ever asked for in this every three-year copyright exemption process. Um, there's very little that's left for the Copyright Office to do. Mm -hmm. um, the FTC may be able to do a lot in their existing capacity to lean on manufacturers to stop blocking repair in their contracts, even though they say they're friendly, when in fact they're not. Um, some of those things can happen, but they don't need Congress. Right, right. So I don't know. I would love for there to be a one-stop shop. <laughs> <laughs> so um, is there anything you want to do next? I mean, apart from that? When, 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 when we finally passed all of this and everything is good and, and there's nothing left for you to do, which will be 
which will probably be never. Uh, yeah, <laughs> what but comes next? Never, but at some point, <laughs> at some point, I think you can see from my gray hair is that um, forever is coming up a little faster for me than other people. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh. No, I'm having a great time with this. This is this is more fun than anything I ever did when I was working for money. So I am not. I am quite happy to do this. But eventually, um, eventually, I could just. I get. A, this is exhausting. Yeah, it's just like, exhausting. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. No, we've been. We've spent the past month and now a month and a half. We've, we we're doing a, a right to repair kind of month extravaganza, which has now turned into you know two months. Because we just keep finding more that's, you know, <laughs> seriously, we started out with, nine with, years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we started out with one, you know, with, with one guest and then it was like, you know, and then there's there's this aspect of it and then that leads somewhere else. And then there's this aspect of it. And then it also falls into modification of things. You know, if you're taking your your hardware and you want to like, you know, like like your phone has it's an iPhone. It's got a red faceplate on it. That's the only difference to it. Aside from and a higher capacitor battery, capacity battery, but he had to jump through hoops to get the thing shipped to him to even have it put in because you know the the they were going to flag it as bootleg stuff and confiscate it. And it's like there's there's so much stuff. Federal that we could do to get the Department of Homeland Security and some (laughs) of um, the customs agents to stop doing Apple's dirty work. Mm -hmm. Right, right, yeah, yeah. It's it's. There's so much stuff related to this, and it's just kind of surprise. You know, it's surprising because I knew from a peripheral level of, you know, I, I knew Apple's penchant for not making things fixable. That's why I'm using an eight-year-old laptop because because I refuse to get something that I can't upgrade. You know, um, but but finding out all the different aspects of this t- down to farm equipment, which. <laughs> You know, you know, like that, that kind of that I'm still I'm still kind of shocked about that. It's farm equipment. It's the it's the the grittiest, least microchippable kind of thing in my brain. And yet and yet nope, there it is. It's that, too. Well, there, there's the revolution in agriculture that makes agriculture so much more efficient is driven by chips. Mm. Lots of them. Sensors right. all over the place. I mean, eventually some of this um, harvesting equipment you can imagine being able to decide it's not here, it's not there yet, but I can imagine that you could have a some kind of robot, which would be considered some kind of farm equipment, uh, be able to discern the the fully ripe tomato from the not quite ripe tomato and pick it. Um, those are the kinds of things that um, agricultural technology is capable of doing. But right now, you can't fix a damn bit of it, and that's that's got to change. Or yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or all of these innovations are just going to be so costly. Right. Right. And, so and that stuff ain't cheap to begin with. I mean, I see these the, yeah. these, these equipment. I'm, I'm Right now, I, I live in Maryland, which is all just farmland around here, you know, Eastern Shore, that, that kind of stuff. Okay. And the amount of things you see, these, these, these ridiculous, you know, they got they got tires that are are twelve feet high and they're taking up a lane and a half on the road. You can drive under them. They're they're huge and they cost you know a couple hundred thousand dollars for this thing. And to tell me that it's going to break down and I can't fix it is 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 ludicrous. It is. It's absolutely ludicrous. And what? <laughs> oh my god, that's a whole. You know, it's all one onion. 
And we're mm -hmm. all peeling away different layers of the onion. And at the core of it, it is exactly the same problem. But the fact that it's appearing in so many different kinds of devices mm -hmm. is really shocking, shocking to a lot of people. Um, so yeah, that the farmers, um, when asked, if they're ever asked, they absolutely love right to repair because they, they knew that they were getting screwed. Mm -hmm. um, and they knew it was extremely costly, but they didn't know that they had a choice. <laughs> so once they find out they're getting screwed and they have a choice, they become pretty good advocates. But as mm. a group, um, they're awfully busy this time of year. They're not good get down. You know, they don't run around waving protest flags in front of legislators. So it's a little right. hard. Right. But, um, it is exactly the same problem. You put a chip in it and all of a sudden it's game over. So your best bet is as a farmer, if you were a former Bulgarian or Russian hacker, then yep, <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah. There's, some, there's some hack software out there that appears to work. We've had some evidence of that. Um, not advocating for anything illegal, mind you, but um, as an example of why it's so important for farmers, the value of the non-technology products is, is quite strong. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of farmers that will not buy a modern piece of equipment because they lose control and they can't afford it. Right. Yeah, I, just imagine your whole production stops and mm -hmm. your, inco your income is on stake. Well, you, could, well, you can lose a whole crop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're, they're the most time sensitive of all the things that people use except for what the world I used to live in, which was mainframes. You did not let downtime in a mainframe was you know, the kind of things that if, if you were down for two hours, your job was over. Right. Um, you know, if you were in charge of a data center. So the first thing mainframe guys did as soon as they could afford it was to buy a standby mainframe so that the tech could be working on the one while the other one was running. And it was so important that, that literally the tech had a 20, there was a technician sitting in an office, usually called the IBM office, that had a full stock of parts and a person sitting there 24-7. That's how mission critical these systems are. And farmers, farms are the same thing, but they can't afford to have a second idle standby $500,000 tractor sitting there just in case. So right. the things that are mitigating um, these mission critical applications in the computer world aren't even remotely practical in agriculture. So their, their, their solutions are a little bit um, very, very constrained. Right. And we can throw compute power at, at backup systems all the time now, and it's cheap, but not cheap for farmers. You know, you know the whole the, the repair thing also. You know, it hurts, it it hurts the 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 job market. You know, we hear in the U.S. anyway, it, a big thing is is jobs. Got to create jobs. Got to make jobs and and jobs jobs. And but when we're talking about this kind of thing, there used to be in every town there was a repair shop that you could bring just about anything to. They don't exist anymore. I, I don't know the last time I've seen one. You used yeah. to have, um, you know, um, authorized, you know, even authorized repair places. They don't exist anymore for a lot of this stuff. You yeah. know, you have to send it into the manufacturer to get anything done on. You take it to the Apple store, and then they'll basically just give you another one. You know, it, it's the, taking it to, like, the store in town where they fix things. That whole section of, of jobs for people that knew how to do it has, has evaporated. Because you're not allowed to anymore. It did, and they went under because they weren't allowed to. Right. Um, I don't know if you know it, but there was a, a specific date and time in the camera industry where, I think it might have been 2012, where Nikon overnight said, we're not going to sell parts anymore to mm -hmm. independent camera shops. 
And, oh yeah, I actually result, read about that. Yeah. yeah, but as a result, almost all independent camera shops went out of business. Right. I mean, they their living was really repair and not selling new cameras, and that was that ended that. There's no more the the repair guy in town. There's no, the, there may be a vacuum repair guy in town in some little hovel. <laughs> Yeah, those I do see. I do see vacuum repair stores for some. Yeah, it, as soon as they throw a chip in those, that's going to be right. I, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, TV repair is gone. Appliance repair is gone. Um, Radio Shack, where you used to be able to buy parts. My dad practically lived in Radio Shack. It was his little home away from home. Yes. And um, total parts geek, and that those are gone. And even those, I mean, I used to, I remember going in there and you'd, you'd, you'd have a catalog and you'd walk in and be like, I need part number, whatever. And they'd go in the back and give it to you. Yeah. The last couple of years they were around, they were a cell phone store. You could go and ask for a part and they'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh yeah. When they, when they transitioned to selling toys. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, they, they made a mess of their own business, but I still think they'd be out of business anyway. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I, I, I'm asked often if this is a jobs bill and i I say absolutely um Mm -hmm. i can easily see from just those you know little industries that you're talking about that there should be at least five times as many repair shops in every town in america as there are now so um we've got roughly an employment of 150,000 um independent repair techs so it could it should be over 500,000 right right and when you look at the auto industry there's over 500,000 independent repair techs in that industry and they're only Mm -hmm. servicing cars Mm-hmm. Look at the rest of the world. In addition to a car, you've probably got 25 or 30 other gadgets in your home. Right, right. Um, and every one of those is a piece of waste unless you can get it fixed. So I think the opportunity for U.S. jobs based in communities that are accessible to people without a college education. Um, we've got military veterans that are doing this kind of work, uh, disabled veterans. There's lots of um, there's lots of opportunities for jobs that just simply don't require that you go to Stanford. Right. So, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're missing a lot, and every every time that you buy something new, you're encouraging a job, a factory job in Asia, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to encouraging a a tech who is working and living and making a living in a local community. Right. Um, tech jobs are not they're not pumping gas. Mm-hmm. People make more money than pumping gas. They don't. Yeah. They make more money than if they worked retail at Walmart. I mean, these are better jobs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think there's, there's every reason in the world to do this. And from the manufacturer perspective, unlimited money trying to stop it, um, not for our benefit. Right. So where can people go to find out about about what you're doing and how, how they can take part and, and, and what, you know, what we can do to try to stop this? Well, if they're just curious, they can Google right to repair as a phrase and they'll see hundreds, <laughs> hundreds of articles um, all over the place from every publication you can imagine. Or they can go to repair.org and um, poke around the website. I've been pretty remiss in keeping the news side updated because I'm the I'm the chief bottle washer and chief legislative advocate. And uh, the last thing I like to do is web stuff. Right. So, anybody wants to volunteer and take over my um, posting news, I I need help. (laughs) (laughs) But you're not alone in the operation, or are you? Oh, I am. (laughs) We have, um, we're membership driven, all of our people, other than myself, and to a lesser extent, Nathan Proctor, who is the Right to Repair Director for US PERG. 
Um, Nathan and I are really the only two full-time people mm. doing this. Everybody else is doing something else as their primary job. Like right. Kyle Weens runs I Fix It. So even though he's very involved um, and a fantastic resource, he actually does have a business to run, <laughs> as do all, all of our other members. Right. Interesting, interesting. Wow, I've learned so many things today about about tractors and uh, <laughs> farming, farming industry and also the situation in Africa and all that stuff. Um, mm. I'm so thankful. Thanks for taking the hour to talk to us. Oh, Absolutely no great. Absolutely, absolutely great. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. It, it, all the all of this uh, talk and this work that everybody's doing is is why this is working. Mm. Um, if people weren't interested, we, we wouldn't be getting anywhere. But we are, and it's thanks to guys like you. So thank well, you. Well, interesting. Um, the way it started was actually we, we were looking at um, strange parts. Um, Scotty Allen. I don't know if you've heard of him, no. the iPhone guy that put him uh, that put together an he's, iPhone from. He's actually, and he's a good example of what you were talking about. We're getting the parts in in China because he's in China, and he he built an iPhone like from scratch out okay. of parts he just bought on the street in China. I think I did see a piece about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. he was all over the place two years yeah, ago. Yeah, no, I saw it. I just it, the the name. I I recognize the story, but not the name. Mm. Yeah, and and then and then we actually we actually talked to him back in December, and then when we finally spoke to him in March, shortly before that, I found out like, hey, he's taking part in iFixit right to repair movement. Oh, what cool. is that about, you know? Yeah. And then we got this idea like, okay, let's talk to him and also um, kick off um, an in um, an interview series with all the other people that are moving into the same direction. Good. Yeah, what, that is wonderful. how it started. Yeah, it, it, people are finding this all over the place, and um, it's great. It's absolutely yeah. great. Okay. Why yeah, get up? <laughs> okay. And we've got a good community. You know, we're mostly we mostly deal with retro stuff. You know, you know, older you know machines. These things, you know, forty years old or something. But a lot of the people there are are you know a lot of them fix this stuff up it, it's it's really important to them to be able to do this and uh, the the topic itself it just i mean the right to repair just your modern stuff because it doesn't matter if you're really into the old hardware you still probably have an iphone or something to that effect you know you got these newer machines and you know it affects everybody honestly yeah, when it gets well, right down to it. fixing stuff it's inspiring because then you start saying well gee um how bad can it be i'll try fixing this other thing and he goes right. oh I, that worked. Mm -hmm. or, ooh, I'll never do that again. But mostly uh, these fix-it clinics that are popping up all over the place, um, tremendous, tremendous support. Right. Yeah. Um, here in Germany, very, we call them. Really. Here in Germany, we call them repair cafes. Yes. Mm. Yeah. 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 There's a repair cafe movement here, based on. Um, is she out of the Netherlands or Germany? The, the I'm, I'm. I'm in Germany. Irene, there, there's somebody that started it, and all of a sudden now, you know, three years later, four years later, there's like 1,500 of them. Hmm. Um, almost all volunteer. Just a fantastic community. You know, they're meeting in church basements and libraries and community centers, and it just, people are having a good time. Great. That's right. awesome. All right, well, we'll put links to everything in the podcast description so that people okay. can actually go to the site and they can... You know, if they want to 
write a letter to the legislator. We'll put a link straight to that so they can go straight there and look at all the different states and whatnot. Yeah, because it's well, they, super the reason important. we have all 50 states on the on the list is that um, legislators like to watch each other and mm -hmm. talk to each other. And there are bills that get filed that we never knew about. So we're mm -hmm. not the only people that are that are starting. We, we are the we're more the coordinating body. And if, if people right. ask us for help, we can provide it. But they're going ahead and filing this this legislation without our help. Right. Um, so any state might file a bill in 2020 and we would, and they could all file. Mm -hmm. Um, there's nothing magical about the 20 that we had this year other than that there were 20. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, awesome. So let's hope that they all do. Because... Yeah. If they all do, it's even better. More, yeah. the pressure on the manufacturers is only mounting and mm -hmm. eventually they will cave. I know they'll cave. <laughs> I'll wag my finger at them like a grandma and I'll be <laughs> Great. Exactly. Oh, thanks a lot. All right. Well, thanks so much. I enjoyed the conversation very much. Yeah. Thank Me you. Me too. Thank All you. Right. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Right, a good one. Yeah. So that was Gay Gordon Byrne from Repair Association. And we're going to put links to everything that we talked about, all the places you can go to do all this stuff in, down in the podcast description below. So you can go there and it's, it's super important. I mean, this is really, we, we, we talk about things on this a lot of Kickstarters and, and projects that are, are, are being done that should be, should be supported. But this is like a significant thing that really affects everybody. So everybody should go check those links out and, and write to your legislator if you haven't already. And, you know, do something make make your make yourself heard or move to a better country but as, well, we as we've learned, learned there really yeah. is none <laughs> there's there's nowhere you can go where you're you're going to be set so everybody from every country should be doing that so <laughs> right 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 so until next time we'll see you later